We have hope. Hope that things can get better. And they will. You called it Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Oh, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, folks. No intro this time. Final episode, Rebels Season 1. We got to save Kanan, and then we got the big reveals with the Rebels and a certain Togruta character who you guys might love quite a bit that we haven't seen since the Clone Wars. That leads into an amazing series of arcs with her and the Rebels crew in Season 2, which I'm going to start recording shortly. But for now, let me count us in to Fire Across the Galaxy, the excellent Season 1 finale. Uh, that's very satisfying, but also teases the future with uh, a certain loud-breathing uh, black-masked man as well as our favorite Togruta. So queue up to zero zero zero, get ready for the countdown, and here it comes. Three, two, one, go. All right, people, welcome to the final episode of Rebels Season 1, Fire Across the Galaxy. If you haven't completely bought into Rebels, you have to by the end of this one, or you're never going to, for so many reasons. And I'm going to go full screen on this and assume that the recording is going to line up. Here we go, baby. Let me turn the volume up as well. So, all right. Kanan's captured, being tortured. The rescue continues. Got to get Hera on board. You know... In her leaving Kanan behind, she's trying to convince herself that that's what Kanan would want. It's possible that that is what Kanan would want, but Ezra doesn't care. He might be the kid, but he also knows in situations like this what's best for everybody. And while, you know, I called the middle episode the Empire episode where everything goes wrong, by the end, you're starting to really get on board with both Ezra's optimism and his plan, whatever the hell his plan is. And I like that they're immediately on top of it here. It's a kid's show, and you only got 20 minutes. Zeb's smiling, Ezra's smiling, Sabine, I love the acrobatics from Sabine. You know, people talk about the flippiness in the Star Wars prequels. Uh, the bottom line is, oh, here we go. Not again. <laughs> Uh, Sabine special, as I call it, uh, but, you know, but the, the amount of acrobatics and, you know, Jedi, uh, physical powers, you got to go all the way in the cartoons and you just have to make it work in your head. I mean, if you put Kanan next to Luke Skywalker, he seems way more powerful. But again, you have to remember, this is all from the Journal of the Wills, its interpretation of long-ago myths, blah, 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 according to George Lucas. Okay, let's get down to it. Now Hera's on board, and she's immediately thinking strategically. Sabine, being the master tactician, knows how these ships work. She used to be a lead weapons designer for the Empire, which is teased throughout the series and really comes to a head, obviously, in Season 4 with the sort of accidental, horrible legacy she left behind on Mandalore with her invention. Uh, oh, here it is. Yes. The payoff of them stealing the TIE fighter and lying about hiding it. Oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah. We kind of kept it. <laughs> but didn't exactly you mean. We didn't crash it. We kept it. That's the thing. This is why you know Taylor Gray is a great voice actor, as young as he is with Ezra, is... 
whenever there's cheesiness or, or whininess, it's all in the writing. You give him these little comedic gags, he nails it. Oh, this is great. I totally forgot that. I always forget that Sabine's in on it and makes this beautiful TIE fighter, which I have a small model of this from the X-Wing miniatures game, which I haven't played in a while, but the, the miniatures, which I haven't broken because they're quite fragile. Obviously I do have this one and it is beautiful. I'm not sure where it is right now. And she painted it completely impractical. Now Hera's the one saying, are you in or not? Of course they're in. Yeah, this doesn't line up. Hera was the one who wasn't in. Yeah, Carabast. Yeah. Zeb acts like it's a pain in his butt. But the thing is about Zeb is, I joke about him being one of the little brothers with Ezra, but the bottom line is, he's way older than all of them, I think. Which we learn about later. All right. Star Destroyer. Man, everything looks super epic. They definitely were, were pinching their pennies for the final few episodes. More Kanan <laughs> screaming and torture. Jesus Christ. So, I think, do they dispose of the Grand Inquisitor in this episode? Or, like, he kills himself, and then he comes back as his older self in Kanan's vision at the temple in season two. We'll get to that. He's still resisting. The physical torture isn't doing anything. The force power is not doing anything. Ultimately, the Grand Inquisitor, with his evil look sharp teeth and spinny lightsaber and you see this in the comic isn't nearly as powerful as he's projecting and that was one of the great subtle things about tarkin taking him down a couple pegs you know what was it two episodes ago when tarkin first comes in the picture where is tarkin by the way you hear her voice oh he's talking about um yeah he's talking about his master who was killed he saw killed during order 66 his female master. The Canaan comics is kind of written for kids. I don't love the writing or art, but the story of his master, who was somewhat humiliated by a horrible defeat during the Clone Wars, is given one more chance. And Canaan, although a maverick like Ezra in his early Padawan days, is what kind of gets her back on track and gets her inspired again, is that he's so honored to be taken under her wing as her Padawan that it inspires her and motivates her for you know one last battle and she protects him during order 66 i don't remember exactly how it goes down there's the sabine tie you gotta love it the thing about the sabine tie so it's painted on the inside of course they're going to recognize it when they eyeball it but it's going to show up on the scanners like a normal tie fighter and that's what they're banking on there's mustafar vader's lava planet which we see in rogue one and the clone wars what is Ezra? That's the Ezra Force music. What is he forcing? Force ing. Oh, he's communicating with uh, with Kanan. Yeah, Con- confirming where he is, that he's alive, sending codes. Ba 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 boom. And even though they joined the rebellion, it was important for both us as the viewer and I'm sure the rebels looking on and then hearing about the the full details of the story that they could pull off their biggest heist yet, which is to infiltrate a massive Imperial fleet above Vader's planet. And yeah, we must see Vader at the end of this episode, which I always forget. We get the full Star Destroyers here. Now, in the middle seasons with Callus, Callus's sort of... Uh, 
smaller command, we see um, interdict, not interdictors, what are they called? Sort of mini Star Destroyers, which is cool. But for this, you need the full Star Destroyers. Oh, they just blow the shit out of the Sabine TIE Fighter? Oh, man. Part of the reason I stopped the X-Wing Miniatures game is, like, all collectibles. It gets extremely expensive, and they keep adding new rules and new ships with new types of skills, and it just gets insane, which is why they rebooted the whole thing. Maybe I'll get back at some point if I ever get money. But the Sabine power is great, which is, as long as you don't engage the enemy uh, with her tie, they can't attack you because they don't recognize that you're a threat because... Just like here, they were able to get on the ship before they recognized it, and then it was too late with the bomb. So that was kind of a cool special power if you knew how to use it. It was otherwise a normal TIE fighter, though you could give it special abilities with the pilot and blah, 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 blah. Uh, But the fact that you were able to just fly around untouched until you were ready to go and make your move, you know, even though the other player knew, you know, they had to act like their ships didn't know what it was. Uh, which which is you know a great mirror of of the show, you know Rebels does what Rogue One does. Even though both of these are right before the original trilogy, they introduce so many either cool new ships or new versions of ships we've seen. We get the Tie Strikers and the U Wing in Rogue One. We get Sabine's Tie. We get the Tie Defenders in, in Rebels. We get the different kinds of mini Star Destroyers. I don't know why. You know, in the new Saga trilogy, so many years in the future with the First Order, they're having problems or just don't want to or care about designing new ships, and it's still Stormtroopers, TIE Fighters, and X-Wings. Whatever. I have to hope J.J. Abrams is going to step it up in Episode Nine. It makes no sense they wouldn't use TIE Defenders, which are shielded and can hyperspace, but that's many (laughs) Rebel seasons down the road. So, I've been talking a lot about how cinematic these last few episodes are in terms of how they're, you know, quote-unquote shot. So, I'll have to monitor as we get to season two and three whether they're actually a little bit more cinematic than I remember. But I have this recollection of many Rebels episodes being, you know, static, unmoving camera shots. Here, the camera's constantly moving. The angles are all different and new. Like that there from right on Ezra's face, the slow pan to the the rest of the crew behind him. The lighting is right on. I think what's interesting is, again, defending Zeb and loving his eyes, is because it's Pixar-y, my problem with Pixar is that the more human it gets, like I love... Um, uh, Wally and part of the reason I love Wally is the first bunch of the movie is mostly just the, the two droids, but with all you know, whether it's the Incredibles or whatever, you know, their Toy Story, like the toys are great, but the people designs always look weird. Now I think Rebels is doing it, you know, as well or better, and they're certainly going for a more realistic style because it has to jibe with the rest of Star Wars. Up oh, here's Kanan. <laughs> right, shouldn't have come. That's what Hera was saying. Whatever. He doesn't, yeah. Yeah, he did. But, you know, even though Zeb's eyes are completely alien, and even though Sabine's eyes are partially alien, her being Mandalorian, I guess what I'm saying is, the human character's eyes are the least convincing, as usual. With Pixar, the more alien you get, the more it works, because you're not comparing it to something you already know. This is great. 
I think I complained in a much earlier Rebels episode that I recorded last year that I don't like sharp teeth on good guys or bad guys, but it certainly works with the Inquisitor, and it's not overly done. He's also usually just grinning with his mouth closed. So here's the big lightsaber battle, (laughs) you know. So Star Wars torturing droids, torturing people, uh, tracking devices, X-Wings, TIE Fighters, some things that you always have to have in Star Wars, apparently. The other is these long, narrow catwalks with no railings and an endless fall. But, you know, Lucas either came up with or perfected this aesthetic in the original trilogy, and... You know, for lightsaber battles in particular, it makes a ton of sense. Oh, here we go. So which, so Kanan has, what, Ezra's lightsaber, and now Ezra has Kanan's lightsaber, which is great. Yeah, here they go. Oh, yeah, baby. It's too, do they tease Duel of the Fates? I don't think so. I guess people are split on the lightsaber. I like that they do it differently than in the in the movies. It's faster, but it's it's almost more like Crouching Tiger, where it's ba 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 and then pause ba 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 and then pause. It, it's sort of choppy, just sort of how sword fighting would actually happen, just sped up. He thinks Ezra's fallen. Oh, this is a great moment where he says, "I have nothing left to lose" or, or whatever, nothing left to fear. And this is the first... So there's three major Kanan transitions. There's here where he thinks Ezra is or might be dead. That was a mistake. Right. Why? Because you have no one left to die for you? And Kanan says, no, because I have nothing left to fear, I think. Yep. Oh, I just got shells, baby. Woo! So there's this. And then there's when he gets knighted by the older version of this guy, which we'll get to in season two, when they go back to the temple with Ahsoka. And then, of course, getting blinded and being guided by the Bendu in season three, where he reaches a whole new level. And that's what's great is, you know, it seems like the show's about Ezra's journey, and it is, but the show's functioning best when we're getting major evolutions in Kanan's journey. And partially that's just because he's one of the best Star Wars characters ever. Freddie Prinze Jr. puts in, I mean, they're all great voice actors, but I think Freddie Prinze in particular whether the writing is okay, good, or great, it is, you know, Emmy or Golden Globe level good. And this show, I believe, has won, or at least gets got nominated a bunch. <laughs> yeah, Ezra's right there uh, for for awards, you know, for animation. But Freddie Prinze is spectacular. And again, main problem with the final season, not enough Zeb, not enough Kanan, but we will get there. I hope this is still recording. It'd be a shame. Yep, I'm still recording. You do so many podcasts, hundreds of them, that you you have to make sure not to get sloppy. You know, I, I've been foregoing sound checks recently a couple times with my with my guests, but he's better than okay, right? Yeah, Ezra's. That's what's so. That's what's so cool. The juxtaposition is not only are they working together, learning from each other. Kanan's training Ezra, but he's also learning from Ezra. But Kanan's jumps are, I guess, revolutionary. You would say, as opposed to Ezra's, which is more evolutionary. Like Ezra's sort of slowly powering up, episode to episode, season to season. Kanan has these big jumps, usually caused by major physical or emotional trauma. Oh yeah, baby. 
Yep, split it apart. That's the thing. The Inquisitor fighting, you know, even a decent Jedi with focus, you know, and again, Rebels further developed the notion, you know, that we've all been pushing for, and we see it with Rey, and obviously Luke at the end of Jedi, that the Jedi saying don't fight with passion are completely wrong. They're strongest when they are fighting with passion, but they're in control of it. Qui-Gon loses to Darth Maul, partially because he's old and outmatched, and partially, this doesn't make any sense why he kills himself. Especially because he doesn't come back to haunt Kanan, he comes back to actually help him, but whatever. Um, You know, but Qui-Gon also lost to Darth Maul because he wasn't fighting with enough passion. And it's at that point that, you know, Maul was beating Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon together, and then Obi-Wan just destroys Maul and does it twice because he's fighting with passion he beats anakin because of you know he channeling emotion the first time he probably could have beaten vader as old man obi-wan but decides that being killed having luke see it motivating luke and then being able to be with luke as a force ghost and so forth was a more valuable choice we can debate that elsewhere you listen to my commentaries with simmy from a new hope and all the original trilogy oh they didn't blow up the tie oh was it just an emp okay that would have been a shame. Yeah, listen to the kid. Aw, Hera smiling. You don't see that much. So, there's only about five minutes left in this episode, and so much happens. So they beat the Inquisitor, who committed suicide that never really comes back despite his menacing final message to Kanan. Kanan's powering up. Ezra's showing leadership, maturity... These three are stuck in a tie together that's painted ridiculously by Sabine. <laughs> Zeb's doing nothing. You know, Zeb's like Han Solo. There's moments when he's just standing around watching people who are more talented than him do stuff. Oh, uh, the Inquisitor's tie. <laughs> you worry me sometimes. Yeah. Whenever Caden makes a joke about Ezra worrying him or like, I wish I could use mind control on you or whatever, it's totally a compliment and he's just impressed with the kid. So, of course, the Inquisitor's tie is a prototype of Vader's tie. Um, I'm not sure which came first. Uh, Again, in the nerdy miniatures game, they're both pretty powerful. Vader's ship, obviously, exceedingly powerful. Space battles look great in Rebels. They completely imitate the lasers, the noises. I mean, you got to get that shot on the TIE pilots, the classic shot with them in the black mask, and then the targeting computer. When they yeah, where's Chopper? Always oh, coming in late. Sorry, I'm just watching this gloriousness. Up, oh, Star Destroyers crashing together. Always gorgeous. Still no Vader. Was th- I guess the notion was they were delivering Kanan to Vader before they rescued him. That's why they're Mustafar. There we go, baby. Is that a Visago ship? Oh, yeah, baby. Woo! The Rebel fleet. Yes. Yeah, Hera totally called it into Fulcrum. He's like, it's time. We need it. Yeah, I think they're on our side. We got the Corvettes. We got the Ghost. Yes. We get to see Corvettes do real action and, and fighting damage in Rebels, which is great. That's the thing. I mean, the capital ships are so glorious in Rogue One, the original trilogy, but it's still the 
the the the single pilot ships like the X-wings doing most of the fighting. That was one of the cool things. The very beginning of Force Awakens with the Poe Finn escape. Oh, uh, there's Tarkin. No one to blame but yourself, bitch. Yep, they're in hyperspace, and here comes the Fulcrum reveal. Um, the very beginning of Force Awakens, they had to take out the turrets on the Star Destroyer, and then obviously the beginning of Last Jedi. Here's a little bit of the romance. You know, where Poe's bombers are, are taking out the interdictor. <laughs> Rash and reckless. Dear, they move away from love. I wonder why. And then they come back to in season four. I guess they thought they were pushing it too quickly and they wanted to string out the story, which was smart. It worked out great. I, I do think they made a course correction in the writing, but it worked out great. It, it seems planned. Tease the romance, back off, and then revisit in the final season. Here we go. Here it comes, baby. So you got to realize, guys, I had heard about Ahsoka. I knew people loved her. I had heard that people didn't initially love her, but now they're obsessed with her. I watch Rebels, I think all the way through numerous times before I went to Clone Wars and saw young Ahsoka. I immediately loved her. Here's Bail Organa. Now, now Bail Organa had been working with Ahsoka as Fulcrum for like two, yeah, since right after Order 66, which we, we learned about in, in the, um, the, uh, we were Cell. We were Cell? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Soka's been working for Bail since after Order 66, which we learn in the book, which is awesome, which means she probably knows Leia. Here we go. Oh, God. Guys, this is Simi's waifu. Simi Klimo, senior contributor. Here she is. She's so stunning in a non distracting way. And you see young Ahsoka, and it must have been so difficult to come up with her older design because she's so she's like 14 in the clone wars so she had to grow taller look more like a woman less like a girl her lakus had to grow out big time there we go yes ashley Eckstein had to change her voice performance which she nails but still sound like ahsoka i immediately fell in love with the character as a star wars character she's so good in season two she probably makes season two the best season in my opinion whispers from mustafar people see the empire's weak vulnerable yeah this is the vader thing vader is constantly suspicious not only of tarkin and his cronies here he is even though they're all working for palpatine he's distrustful of the death star he's distrustful of the empire imperial bureaucracy and vader's right too there he is all right guys Oh, ending on the Vader breathing. That's great. So I might have to jump into some of season two. It's like a midnight here. I've been recording all day, but just to get the Ahsoka episodes going, maybe one or two from season two, a great end to season one. Um, you know, again, I was experiencing this. I guess I jumped in during season three. So the whole second season Ahsoka arc had happened. So I timed to meet Ahsoka for the first time, learn more about her, go back to Clone Wars, and then catch up and rewatch this again, read the Ahsoka book, see the panels with Ashley Eckstein and Dave Filoni and Pablo Hidalgo, where they talked about the unfinished Clone Wars episodes of Siege of Mandalore, which I'll talk about later because they're doing it. They're bringing the Clone Wars back. We're getting Ahsoka and the Siege of Mandalore. Oh, it's going to be so glorious. So, so glorious. 
Uh, thank you guys for joining me in season one. Please continue to follow me on this and my other Star Wars podcast if you are enjoying them. Um, I hope to have some special guests on Rebels. I'm fully capable, ready, and willing to do all these by myself because I'm going to be doing a bunch of the major awesome arcs of Clone Wars from season one through five with Simi Klimo, and we'll be doing them as like mini movies, you know, the three, four episode arcs. So that'll be awesome. Probably start that in like three or four weeks. Um, from when I released this. So, man, uh, Rebels just gets better and better and better as it goes along. Um, and, uh, yeah, I can't wait to do, in particular, the Ahsoka episodes in Season 2. So thank you for joining me on this epic journey. But for now, may the Force be with you, and the Bizzle is out.